Thank you, man. Hallelujah. Well, you guys braved the weather and came out tonight? Man, good for you. Man, that's encouraging. Awesome. All right, so uh, what do you want to do? Hallelujah. All right, so listen, I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to talk about that scripture. What do you think? Are you in here to stay? Then sit down. Come here. Praise the Lord. I feel like I'm on a boat that's lopsided. Is there a special smell about this side that everybody likes? Or everybody's on this side, and this side is like light. That's not good because I have a, a, a habit towards looking this way. No, nobody wants to move. Um, please, let's not waste the time. All right, Exodus chapter three, verse seven. Here you go, Jerry. Now we can go home and tell everybody he sat on the front row. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Say that word, please. Taskmaster. taskmaster. You know what a taskmaster is? We don't really use that word too much in our uh, culture today. But a taskmaster, when you hear the word taskmaster... Think of the word slave driver, okay? It's probably the best way to explain that. So God says, uh, through Moses, I've heard the cry of my people because of their taskmaster, because of their slave driver. Look at, look at the next phrase. For I know their sorrows. And I know we spent a lot of time on this two weeks ago, uh, the last time we were covering this topic. The fact that God knows the things that you're going through. God knows the things that I'm going through. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows the attacks that we come under. We're going to spend some time on that. Verse 8, so I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and all the otherites. Verse 9, <laughs> now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. See, he's aware of the forces that are arrayed against us. He's aware of the adversity. He's aware, he's aware of the mind games that we have to go through sometimes. Amen? Amen? Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I just want to kind of bring some attention to it. In the Old Testament, we see this phrase a lot, the children of Israel. The children of Israel. The children of Israel. When you see that, that should trigger something in you. That should trigger the thought that God is very much aware of his promises, and God is very much able to fulfill the promises that he made generations ago. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but in the scope of things, in the general just scope of life, Many of us are here tonight. We, we may be praying for things. Just because you're not seeing it come to pass does not mean that eventually it will not come to pass. 
we're laying the track for the future. Amen? He's aware of these things, and he always keeps his promises. So I'm kind of reviewing where we left off the last time, and the whole heading of this, what we're studying in this scripture here tonight, is that God wants us to be real. Okay? The Israelites were very real with God. They were not afraid to grumble. They were not afraid to complain. They were not afraid to vent. They were not, now I'm not saying that's a habit that we should get into, but I think that God would rather have us be open and honest with him and transparent rather than us playing mind games with ourselves and trying to deny things, trying to make believe things are not there, trying to make believe we're not dealing with stuff. I believe it's better that we would be honest with him. You know, you read the Psalms of David. Most of them are David's bellyache, and yet they're considered sacred scripture. Most of the Psalms are David just telling God, hey, this is what's bothering me, and this is what I'm contending with, and this is who's coming after me. God wants us to be real. God does not want us to walk around in this life with a bunch of religious hypocrites and just trying to act something out on the outside while we're suffering on the inside. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, let's be real. Let's be real. Let's, now, I'm, I'm saying this, but by the same token, I want to balance it out. Let's be real, but let's also walk in faith. Yes. Amen? Yes. Good. Okay. So, first part I want to go to is God reveals himself as the one who knows what's really going on with his people. He said, I've heard the cry because of their taskmasters. He knows their sorrows. Never fall for the lie of the enemy that would try to tell you. God is not aware of what's going on in your life. God doesn't care. He's too busy. He's too far away. He's very, very, very much aware of every little detail that's going on in your life. And sometimes I think if we would unclutter our minds, we would be even more cognizant or aware of the things that he's showing us. I know what's going on. I know what you're dealing with. I'm here for you. Amen? Amen. So the fact that the Israelites were slaves for hundreds of years, some of them at some point in time must have came to a conclusion God's forsaken us. He's forgotten us. Maybe God doesn't even exist anymore. But God heard them, and he was aware of every tear. He was aware of all that we were going through, and he responded by sending a deliverer. He always will send a deliverer. Okay? Now, that deliverer, obviously, we know is the Lord Jesus Christ. But is Jesus Christ here on the earth right now? Where is he? Who's here on the earth? Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is an amazing, amazing individual. Because the Holy Spirit knows everything that's going on in our life because he's God. He knows the heart of God, but he also knows our hearts. He knows the heart of God, but he also knows what you're going through, what I'm going through. And therefore, he will find a way to get to us to let us know, I know what's going on. He'll use another individual. He may use a scripture. He might use a TV program. He might use something on the internet. He might use a telephone call, a text message, an email from somebody to reach you, to let you know, I know what's going on. We, sometimes we interpret his silence as like dis, he's displeased with us. No. I, I'll tell you, sometimes when he's the most silent is when he's working behind the scenes the most. You listening to me? So last week you talked about Psalm 34, verse 17. The Lord hears his people when they call out to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. How many? How many troubles? All their troubles. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Always, always. Psalm 103, real quick, let's go through that again. I know we covered this two weeks ago, but uh, it's worth repeating. Psalm 103, verse 10. He, speaking of God, has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Are we grateful that that promise exists? Can you imagine? Think about your own life. Don't think about anybody else around you. Think about your own life. What if he dealt with us according to our sins? What if he punished us according to our iniquities? Now, you see the word sin there and iniquity is two different things. They relate to the same problem. But he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Think of it this way, individual sins. But then think of it, iniquity is when you have a tendency to sin a certain way over and over again. Did anybody experience anything like that? Has, that, has anybody else ever experienced anything like that? You seem like you're always falling in the same, in the same ditch, in the same pit, in the same problem. And, and yours is very different than somebody else's. Like their pit's their pit, their ditch is different, your ditch is different. But what he's saying here, which is, so, which is such an awesome thing, thank God, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor punish us according to our iniquities. Now listen, this goes to show you the grace of God. That scripture was recorded the book of Psalms, David, David was on the earth a thousand years before Jesus. Now, why am I bringing it up? Because that must have seemed like, are you out of your mind? When that was first spoken or written down. Because we don't see the fulfillment of that until we get to the New Testament. And second, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us he doesn't, exactly from here, he doesn't deal with it. He's not imputing our sins against us anymore. Why? Because who did he put the sins on? Jesus. Jesus. But was Jesus on the scene yet? No. So this scripture here was so prophetic. Even, even, I don't know if David wrote this, I think he did, but whoever wrote down this psalm, when they wrote it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, must have went to themselves, is that right? How can that be possible? Why? Because they're living under the law. They're living under law, very detailed law. If you do this, this is how you're going to get punished. If you do this, that's how you're going to get punished. If you don't do this, this is what you're going to forfeit. That's the whole mindset of the Old Testament. Yet here, the Spirit of God, in his mercy, says the time's going to come when that's going to take place. And thank God that you and I live in this time. We'd all be walking around with leprosy. So, verse 12, now verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. I think that scripture is directly connected to verse 10. The writer of this psalm is recognizing that is the mercy of God for this concept to be introduced into mankind that God's not going to punish us for our sins, uh, for our iniquities, and deal with us according to our sins. That's the mercy of God. Now, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he knows what we're made out of, and he remembers that we are dust. 
Now, I want to tie this in, and I didn't see this before now. I want to tie this whole concept in with the fact of Exodus chapter 3, where God says through Moses, I have seen and I have heard the cries of my people because of their taskmaster. Now, let me, let me, let me present this to you. How cruel would our God be if knowing that we, even us as believers, and sometimes they think especially us as believers, are under attack almost constantly. Because we're behind enemy lines. You realize that right now, right now, Satan is still the God of this world. Little g. But he's still the God of this world. Okay? We're here. We represent the kingdom of God on enemy territory right now. Do you think the devil, when the church first presented itself on the scene on Pentecost Sunday, do you think the devil went, oh, we got to back off now because the church is here? No. What do we see happen almost immediately after Pentecost? You see persecution break out. And persecution never stopped. And, and we think now, because we live here in this country, thank God for this country, that, you know, you're not, you know, you're not getting arrested on the street because you can't to church tonight. You don't have to worry about somebody knocking on your door and pulling you out of bed tonight when you go home. But that's, that happens in other places. In fact, there are more martyrs for the Christian faith in the past hundred years than there has been in the entire history of the church. Especially the past 10 years. So, so we're under attack, we're under attack, we're under attack. And the enemy, how does the enemy usually attack a believer? Through deception. So now, how cruel would God be if he knows the taskmasters that we deal with, knowing that the enemy operates in deception, and then when we fall for the deception, then he would punish us too. You see? So let's take that concept and apply it to our lives. Let's say tonight that God has spoken in a fresh new way and saying, I see the tears. I understand the pain. I, I hear the sorrow because I know you're taskmasters. Now this is an unheard of. This isn't unheard of. All right. Taskmasters come in many forms. God hates each one of them and wants us free from every one of them. Let's go back to Jesus' ministry, okay? And then we'll bring it up to today. Let's go back to Jesus' ministry. All right. Mark chapter 5, verse 3. That's going to be a little bit of scripture here, so you're going to stick with me, right? Uh, are you, you came here to learn tonight, right? Yes. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to learn together. Watch this now. Ex, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 3. I gave this to him at the last minute, so it's not his fault. It's my fault. 
We're there? Okay, so we're talking about the Gadarene demoniac. One of the favorite subjects to preach about in church. So what, what is it about this man that stands out and is worth this paragraph or two in the Gospels? This man lived in the tombs, had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. This is one guy. Nobody could bind him. Nobody could tie him up, not even with chains. Now, I'll explain to you later. Who, uh, next verse. We're going to go down to verse 9, right? Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, shackles around the feet and around the, the wrists and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broke in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. So this isn't a normal individual. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, in other words, away from the population, crying out and doing what? Cutting himself with stones. Okay? That's a spirit. Now, the spirit that he allowed to come into his life for, for however, we don't know how this happened, but these are manifestations of a demonic spirit. Okay? Now, I'm not telling you, because listen to me, we deal with this stuff in the youth ministry all the time. Cutting, cutting, cutting. And it's, we, we've been dealing with this for as long as this ministry has existed in the youth ministry. Cutting. Now, I'm not telling you that every person that cuts himself is demon-possessed. What I'm saying is that a person can come under the influence of an evil spirit and manifest things. This man was 100% demon-possessed, and we know because we know the rest of the story. But now watch this now. It's supernatural strength. How do we know that? It's breaking chains. You can't, you can't tie this guy up. He's doing what? He's crying day and night, howling, and cutting himself with stones. This isn't normal. So now, he's going to come in contact with Jesus, and Jesus, the deliverer, will always release an individual from their taskmaster. Are you getting this? Yes. Okay. Next verse. When he saw Jesus from afar. Now, watch this now. Because it's two entities that this scripture is going to deal with. When he, the man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Next verse. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, now, watch this now. The man saw Jesus, but the spirit is crying out. The spirit that's controlling this man. Are you, are you getting this? Yes. And he cried out with a loud voice, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? The devil knows who Jesus is better than people do. Son of the most high God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said, come out of the man. What? Now that tells us that this is a sexual thing. Whenever you see that term, unclean spirit, in the Gospels, Okay, it's usually dealing with a spirit of perversion, some type of sexual immorality. Okay, that's a taskmaster. That's a, you can all sit here comfortably, make believe you don't know what I'm talking about, just listen. Okay, <laughs> that is a evil spirit, an evil spirit that comes and manifests itself. And this man got to the point where 
He allowed these spirits to come in, because when one comes in, opens the door for the other ones to come in, that gave him supernatural strength. Now listen to me. Many years ago, Pastor Cap was in here right now. He'd be able to verify this story. Many years ago, when Pastor Cap used to work for me when I was in the food business, a young man walked into my store one day, and you didn't have to even talk to him to realize this guy's under spiritual bondage. Young kid, little kid like this. He went up, walked up to the counter, and I used to be in the food business, so he walked up to the counter, and I hear the Holy Ghost say, hire this kid. And I'm like, hire this kid? He's filthy. I don't want this kid working here. He's dirty. He smells. His clothes are dirty. Hire this kid. Okay. I said, what can I do for you? Do you have a job? <laughs> All right. As I start talking to him, he starts shaking. I'm not making up stories just to hype things. I'm just telling you. These things are real. Okay? So I told him, okay, uh, this is how much I can pay you. This is what your job will be. But when can you start? Sorry. So he come. At that time, Pastor Cap worked for me. He was probably in his maybe early 20s. This kid comes to work for us. His job is to wash dishes in the kitchen, clean up, help me with prep work or whatever. Got to witness to him. Comes to church. Says the prayer. And I'm not trying to suggest that people's salvation are not genuine, but sometimes it takes more than just saying a prayer. Okay? Sometimes the first time we say the prayer is more of a seed that eventually germinates and, and becomes salvation. But we notice that there's some weirdness with this kid. And so then he would come in and tell us about different things that would appear to him at night in his room. We would try to pray with him. When I say try to pray with him, uh, this one particular time, um, both myself and Pastor Cap tried to lay hands on this kid. And, you know, I'm not a little guy. Pastor Cap's not a little guy. And back then, Pastor Cap was, you know, Jack, just like he is now. That kid threw the two of us across the kitchen like we were marshmallows. And I realized, oh, that's what we're dealing with here. So then we found out that this kid, and he lived in Point Pleasant, and my business at that point was on, more on, this, on the Bricktown side of going towards Point Pleasant. And he would tell us that he would walk around the schoolyards of the elementary school there and laugh because he had forced his girlfriend to have an abortion. And when he did these things, the more that he did these things, the more that... Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that every person had an abortion was operating under the devil. I'm not, please don't go here tonight. I'm talking about this person's experience. These things are real. Eventually, because he really just, it was more of a mocking thing. He really didn't have a desire to walk with Jesus. I hope he did after that. Eventually, I had to ask him to leave. Uh, you can't help somebody that doesn't want help. We just got the answer. You can't help somebody that doesn't want help. People say, well, how would you counsel this person, that person? Well, 
Are they struggling? Well, not really. They're very happy in the lifestyle they're in. Well, then how do you help somebody? And you take, for instance, a person who's stuck in same-sex attraction, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about? All right. We can help a person who's struggling. Say, well, but they're not free yet, but they're struggling. The person that has given themselves over to something, no matter what it is, and you have to pray for that person to, to be uncomfortable with what they're doing in life that's ungodly. Are you getting this? Because some of you are looking at me like, are you getting this? If a person is struggling, you got a chance. But if the person is, does not see anything wrong, now you go different strategy and you start praying for that person to become very uncomfortable in whatever it is. It doesn't have to be just same sex. It could be alcoholism. It could be drug addiction. It could be whatever. It could be a person who's stuck in a lifestyle of greed and just there's never enough money for them. And they see nothing wrong with it. You pray for the person to, you take authority over those taskmasters that are leading the person by the nose. Now watch this now. You remember a couple of verses back, it said that the man ran to Jesus. Now what does that tell us? We find out eventually that this guy's got thousands of demons in him. Because when Jesus speaks to that spirit and says, what's your name? He says, our name is Legion. Well, a legion in, in, Roman, in a Roman army could be a, a thousand or a couple thousand soldiers. Okay, now devils are liars, so we don't know if it's true or not. But the point is this. Even though that demon had free reign in this man's life, when he, the man, saw Jesus, he had enough power within him to run to Jesus. So nobody's beyond hope. Are you listening to me? Yes. Say, Pastor, why are you bringing up all this dark stuff? Because there are taskmasters, slave drivers, that have been assigned to our lives to bring us to the point of exhaustion. And to constantly, now your spirit is saved. Do you listen to me? Yes. Thank God we're tripart nature. We're spirit, soul, and body, right? Yes. And so a person that's born again the evil spirit cannot affect the spirit of the person, but it can certainly oppress the person's soul. I feel like you're not getting it. Are you getting it? So, so was Jesus dealing with the guy or was Jesus dealing with the spirit? And if you read the rest of that story in Mark chapter 5, Jesus casts the devil out of this guy. And when the people from the village come, they find him clothed, the one who would never wear clothing before. It's another sign of demonic possession, okay? Clothed and in his right mind. And how do we know there's a real, real, real strong changer? Because he doesn't want to go back to the village. He says to Jesus, let me come with you. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. No, you got a ministry now. These people all know you. They knew what a kook you were before. Now they know you're free. They were afraid of you before. Now they're not going to be afraid of you. You could do much better here than following me. You see what I'm saying? Yes. What's my point here? I know this is a little bit extreme here. But two points I want to make. Number one, God is very much aware of the taskmasters that have been assigned to your life. He knows who they are. 
He knows what they are. Now, you may not be as extreme as this, and I'm not saying everybody has one, but every one of us deals with certain things. Okay? Um, Number two, sexual immorality is the... What's the word I want to use here? It's one of the most powerful ways that the enemy gains access into a person's life. And now you know the tactic of the enemy and why we live in such a sexualized culture. My wife and I'll be sitting there watching television and a commercial come on and I'll go, what? What is this commercial about? What is all this sex? What is all this... You understand what I'm saying? And we sit there. And we absorb it. I, I learned to sit with the remote control in my hand. No. 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 I'll go to something else, and when the commercial's over, I'll come back. Now, another thing, I don't know if you've noticed this. Years ago, because we know, we know in the advertisement industry, sex sells, right? Did you notice this? Years ago, they had barely clad women all over the commercials. You see what it is now? It's all guys. What what does that tell you? What what is the enemy trying to incite more and more of? And we sit there. Man, it got quiet in here tonight. Oh, it's just a little bit of porn. It's, I don't, you know, I do it all the time. Well, it's all over, Pastor. Everybody's, no, not everybody. Not everybody. Pastor, everybody's, no, not everybody. It's the gateway, the gateway, the gateway. Because the enemy knows how we're made. Don't forget, he's been studying mankind since Adam. He knows that what we see and what we hear sticks with us. That's why you can be in the middle of praise and worship, hands up, raise, anointing of the Holy Spirit all over you, and all of a sudden a thought will come from 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. An image will come, and you'll go, what the heck, where did that come from? Uh, I'm just telling I wish this room was packed tonight just to hear this. Sexual immorality is always linked with darkness, with the cult, with the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Why do you think all the pagan religions in the Old Testament always had sexual practices involved? Yeah. Every one of them. Every one of the pagan... Why do you think God said, don't worship those gods? Yeah. Why do you think God told you? Because I had a guy tell me one time, your God is the most cruelest God there is. I said, why would you say that? Well, in the Old Testament, he wiped out entire villages. I said, do you ever study those villages and study those tribes that he wiped out? Incestuous relations. Relations with animals. All kinds of diseases from the old people to the young children. Why do you think he said wipe them all out? But don't you think God gave each one of those tribes a chance to repent? We know for sure he did. 
Because he told the Israelites, he told Abraham 430 years before they came out of Egypt, he said, your, your, your descendants are going to be slaves in a, in, a, in, a, in a land and serve a people for 400 years. Then they're going to come back. He said, not now, because the time of the Amalekites is not yet. Yep. And the Ammonites. And what was he saying? That means that God gave 400 years to those tribes all over the nation of Israel. We call Israel today. He gave them, four, actually, more accurately, he gave them 430 years to repent yep. and to turn from them. So how do you know God does that? What did he do with Pharaoh? Mm-hmm. He gave Pharaoh 10 chances to repent. After the 10 chances were up, boom, that's it, Passover. See what I'm saying? Don't you think God would have given those other tribes? You remember he sent Jonah to Nineveh. They were pagan people. He sent them there that they would repent. And they repented for a couple hundred years, but eventually they went back and they had to be destroyed. And this is interesting tonight, huh? (laughs) Sexual immorality is extremely dangerous extremely contagious. Um, But this guy had thousands of devils and Jesus still was able to deliver him. So, you know, Pastor, you don't understand the problem I have. I just can't help it. I just can't help it. It's stronger than me. Oh, but this guy who had thousands of demons still had enough within him and he wasn't even born again. He didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. He still had enough sense to go throw himself at the feet of Jesus. Amen. That should give us hope. You, are you listening to me? Yes. What, about, what about the, remember what we're talking about here. God knows the taskmasters that we're dealing with. So if he knows the taskmaster that we're dealing with, that means that he custom, customizes a plan specific to battle that taskmaster. You listening to me? What about the rich young ruler? Comes to Jesus. He's looking to justify himself to Jesus. Right? You know the story. What do I got to do to end her eternal life? Jesus says, you know the Ten Commandments. You know. He goes, yeah, I've observed all these. Oh, really? Okay. What did he do? So now go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And what happened? It says, and that man... And, and it says, it says, Jesus looked at him with love and said, because he realized, man, this guy's delusional, okay? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And it says, that man walked away sad, for he had great <laughs> things. He had a lot of stuff. But the truth of the matter is that sentence structure should be reversed. It's sad because a lot of stuff had him. And some people's taskmaster is money, things, new gadgets. New phone comes out, boom. Well, what's the matter with the old phone? Oh, no, the new one's out. <laughs> new computers, new bigger television, 150-inch TV, bigger than the room. <laughs> got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. You understand? We're laughing about it, but listen to me. That's a taskmaster. Because the scripture says, he will love silver and gold. Silver and gold is never enough. It's never enough. That's the taskmaster. And God said, I've seen their tears and I've heard their cries and I've come down to deliver them. Maybe, maybe food is, a ta- is your taskmaster. And I got to beat that one back once in a while. 
I should say once a day. But what does it do? It's a slave driver. And especially when you come from a family of foodies. And we make a joke, I'm a foodie. I'm a food. No, no, that's a taskmaster. The slave driver. I wish Pastor Pam was still in here because she would, she would remember this story. We, we share a grandmother because she's gone now. Uh, and uh, this grandmother, when you sat at the table, say for a party or a holiday or something like this, she had a strategy. She was a big woman. But she had all kinds of sicknesses. Now, she was a step-grandmother. There was no blood relation there, but it's the only grandmother we knew growing up. So she would sit at the table with you, and especially on the holidays, there would be cookies, or there would be pastries, or there might be bowls of chips. And what she would do is she would, she, like a cobra, she would engage you with your eyes, but her hands were moving all over the table. She talked to you like, and you think, you know, you fall for it and you think, wow, she's really interested. No, she just doesn't want you to see where her hands are going. And so, she, you know, and then when we got older, we started realizing what she was doing. She's talking to you and really talking and asking all kinds of questions, but her hands in the potato chip bowl, her hands in the cookie tray. And it's just, so what, what is that taskmaster, if you're not careful, we joke about it, it's cute, but if you're not careful with that taskmaster, It'll make you act sneaky. Because, you know, and your soul knows, you don't, you don't need to eat this. But the taskmaster is like, you deserve this. It's a holiday. You're supposed to eat this. A couple of years ago, I went to my cardiologist right after in January. And he got me on the scale and he goes, Joe, what are you doing? I love this guy because he's not an alarmist, but he tells you the way things are. I said, uh, he says, what are you doing? You put weight on him again. I said, Doc, you know, it's Christmas. He goes, Joe, Christmas is one day. <laughs> you didn't do this in one day. <laughs> but you see what I, That's a taskmaster. Now, if we'll recognize these things as taskmasters, as slave drivers, as the very thing that God sees and sends a deliverer. In this case, in Exodus, he sent Moses. But in our case, he sent the Holy Spirit who lives inside us. The Holy Spirit, he will empower us to resist these taskmasters, whether it's sexual, whether it's greed, whether it's food, whether it's it's the need for popularity, the need to be known, the need to be seen, the need to be heard. That's a taskmaster. Because no matter how much attention you get, it's never enough. That's why you see little kids, little kids acting out. Little kids, oh, terrible twos, terrible twos. Don't say that over your kids. You're opening up the door for the taskmaster to come in and train that kid. Because if you could get the kid to tell you the truth, this is what he'd say. Well, bad attention is better than no attention at all. Screaming maniacs, running through the stores, knocking things down. What's, what's going on? Oh, I don't know what they're doing. It's an attention-seeking thing. Get that kid broken off of that thing now, because otherwise you're going to have a maniac when that kid becomes a teenager. Oh, he's preaching good tonight. Listen to me. 
If you don't have the willpower, stay off the computer. If you have kids in your house, you better watch what they're doing. You better monitor. You better, well, I want to honor my kids' privacy. Oh, go ahead. Come back in five years. Let me know how that works out. You better watch. You better take, because let me tell you something. They're smarter than us when it comes to technology. You better find out how to monitor everything. Monitor everything. You, uh, grandparents, you got grandchildren, pray for them. Pray for because they are growing up in a society that is whacked out. Hallelujah. Now, I said something before. I want to go back to the rich young ruler. That I say this every time I talk about this person. We made a statement before, and the reason I pointed to Frankie was because we had a conversation earlier about an individual who needs some help. Okay. Jesus offers a man an opportunity to get free from that taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Did he take it? No. He walked away sad. Did you notice that it doesn't say, and Jesus ran after him? Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, oh, wait a second, maybe I was a little bit too harsh with that statement. Uh, come back here, let me rephrase it. What did Jesus let him do? Why? Because you can't help somebody who doesn't want help. Now, when we get to heaven, I'm hoping to find out that at some point in that man's life, that rich young ruler's life, that he came to his senses like the prodigal son. And that we'll find out in heaven, wow, at some point in time, either while Jesus was still on the earth or maybe after the church was established, maybe this guy came to his senses, went to the apostles or started becoming part of the church, received Christ as Lord and Savior and learned from that lesson. But man, I'll never forget the first time that thing jumped off the page at me. I went, I'll never forget my, my wife. I said, Barb, look at this. He let the guy walk away. We would be running after people. We'd be running after, oh, 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 please, come on, you know, like me, be my friend. I'll take you anywhere you are. Just be my friend. It's not good. I would venture to say that many of us who are suffering from addictions that can't get free from stuff, if we could really trace things back, it's because early on, someone did not let that person experience the consequences of their actions. I was smoking dope when I was a teenager. My poor sister ended up getting a beating after I got married and moved out of the house because all my stash was under the carpet and I forgot to take it out of there before I moved. So when my mother found it, she thought it was my sister's, and my sister got the beating that I should have got. But my mom, my parents knew what was going on. They didn't want to face the problem. They didn't want to be the tough guy, be the, show tough love. They wanted to be friends. But parents, you have to make a choice. You're either going to be your kid's friend or you're going to be their parent. You can't be both. I don't believe that. Come back in five years. You've only got them for a certain amount of time. 
You're responsible to train them. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say you've got to be your kid's friend. It tells us we've got to be their disciplinarians. And the most dangerous person in any family dynamic is the enabler. It's a tough pill to swallow, but it's the truth. Pastor Pam, I've been having fun up here telling family stories. But you understand what I'm saying? My mom and dad knew what was going on in my room. Never confronted it. My mom, God rest her soul, she's probably mad at me right now if she heard me in heaven. Her famous saying was, what are people going to say? We don't confront things in people's lives. What are people going to say? If this comes out, what are people going to say? Oh, so it's okay if I'm dying, as long as nobody knows about it. And that's why what ends up happening is that when you get older and older in life, then all of a sudden all the family secrets start coming out once the old timers start dying. This one was molested by this person. This person was molested by that person. Don't sit there and look like you don't know what I'm talking about. Because nobody wanted to deal with it when it happened. Go study David's life. That's why he ended up with Absalom. That's why one son killed the other son. Mm-hmm. One brother raped his stepsister, and David didn't do anything about it. Yep. And that turned the whole course of that family crazy. These things operate. But we're coming back to this topic here. Jesus took pity on that Gadarene demoniac. He knew the taskmaster that that man was dealing with. Jesus took pity on the rich young ruler. He knew the taskmaster master that young man was dealing with. I'll even take it one step further. Jesus spent time with the woman at the well because he realized she had a taskmaster in her life. She's trying to gain love every way she can, jumping from relationship to relationship, from bed to bed. He knows the taskmaster you're dealing with. It might be sickness. You might, you might have just chronic illness. He knows the taskmaster that you're dealing with. And he has come down to deliver us. Amen. So just because, you, you know, well, pastor, I don't understand. I'm born again, but I'm still dealing with this. I'm still dealing with that. Well, your spirit got born again. Your soul is in the process of being renewed. And sometimes it takes years and maybe decades for us to heal from certain things that we've been exposed to early on. You understand what I'm saying? Now the enemy will come and say, "Well, well, you're supposed to be born again. If you were born again, you still wouldn't be dealing with this thing. If you're really born again, you wouldn't still be struggling with, you still wouldn't be falling in sin. God said to Moses, I have seen the tears of my people, I have heard the cries because of their sorrow, so I know their taskmaster. I thought we would get a little bit further tonight. You, you see what I'm saying? 
Now, when we start talking about Pharaoh more, well, maybe we should do that. We got about another six minutes. Can we do that? You remember at one point, let me see, do I want to go there? Yeah. Exodus chapter 8, verse 25. Can you skip down, Jay? Exodus 8.25. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. What did God tell Moses? Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, that they may sacrifice to me, that they may worship me, right? Okay, yes? Yes. You know that, right? Yes. Okay. So Moses had said to Pharaoh, we need to go at least three days' journey. We've got to get away from this. We've got to put some distance between us and you. Yep. Separateness. Yep. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Separateness. He said, we've got to go at least three days' journey. We've got to put some space between us. And what did Pharaoh call for Moses? He said, go, go sacrifice your God. Where? What land is he talking about? Egypt. The taskmaster. When he realizes you're serious about walking with God, when he realizes you're serious about growing in the things of God, he'll try to get you to compromise. Okay, yeah, be a little religious. Go to church on Wednesday night. You can go on a weekend, too. Go maybe Saturday, go Sunday, but don't get too crazy. Just during the week, you can live the way you want. Because, you know, God loves you. Live any way you want during the week. But just Wednesday night, go to church. You know, look good. The pastor will think, you know, you're really serious about this because you're there on a Wednesday night. The, ta- the taskmaster. In other words, but stay here with me. I'll let you go once a week, twice a week to church. But stay in the land. In other words, don't get 100% free. Stay here in the land. And what did Moses tell him? No, this ain't going to work. It's not going to work. So the taskmaster, if he can't stop you from getting saved, he will stop you from being committed. Verse 28, same chapter. Exodus 8, 28. After Moses said to Pharaoh, no, no, the Jews can't stay here in Egypt. Verse 28. Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far. Don't go very far. You see, you see the tricks here? So, so, so many Christians, of course, nobody here. Even though God said, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, Say the Lord. So many Christians want to see how close to the world they can live. So they don't necessarily maybe want to drink, but they'll go to the bar, they'll sit with friends, they'll sip a ginger ale. So nobody knows the difference. But you're still in that atmosphere. Oh, you're stepping on my toes tonight, Pastor. No, let's just be honest with each other. We might as well start now, not even wait for next year. 
Are you going to come to the point? Are we, we going to come to the point to just acknowledge the fact that there are some places that a Christian's got no business going to? Got no business going to. There's some things we've got no business looking at. There's some things we got. We, and listen to me. And don't look at me and don't walk out of here and say that I'm a hater because I don't, I don't want to hear it. There are some people that the Holy Ghost will tell you, you got no business hanging around with that person. Got no business hanging around with that group. Got no business hanging around with this one, that one, the other one. Well, Pastor, you know what I'm saying? I'm there because I want to get them saved. No, honey, it doesn't work that way. You're not going to get them saved. They're going to get you compromised. Because your flesh relates more to that atmosphere than it does to the atmosphere of the spirit. Are you listening to me? Well, how am I supposed to reach people? Do you think a lifeguard jumps in the ocean the first day they show up on the job? Well, let me ask you this question. Would you hire a lifeguard that doesn't know how to swim? Would you? What would you want to do? If, you, if I have a beach, if I own a beach and I'm going to hire security, I'm going to hire lifeguards. I want to make sure that they've got time trained. Why? Because if, if they have to run out and, get, and, they, and that person drowns, I got a big lawsuit on my hands. Why? Because I hired this guy and this guy can't swim yet. Let me just tell you this, okay? The Holy Spirit will never put you in a situation that you're not prepared for. Uh, the Holy Ghost. No, 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 no. He will not even suggest it to you if you're not prepared yet. The devil will. Oh, what kind of person are you? Keith, what kind of person are you? How come you're not hanging around with your old buddies? Yeah, they're smoking crack, they're doing this. I don't know if that's the case. But, but <laughs> what, what kind of friend are you? Don't you, don't you, and want you in there, or want you to get involved with something, or get involved in a situation knowing knowing that there's a weakness there. No, you better go learn how to swim. Then you go be a lifeguard. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? And don't look at me crooked eyes, because I don't care. And I'll say it again. I'll turn around. I'm sorry. But if, uh, I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, you're spirit-filled, and you want to go on with God, don't tell me about this social drinking. Don't tell, well, I have a little bit of wine with my, I'm sorry. Anything that's going to lower your mind guard, anything that's going to lower your, your, your defenses, anything gonna, you better stay away from. Oh, we're going to have less people here next Wednesday night. <laughs> Listen to me. God is getting ready. In fact, he started already jerking the slack. Because let me tell you something, okay? Things are not going to get better from this point on. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but things do not get better from this point on. And those that are going to stand are going to be the ones that are separating themselves from this world. God, what was the very first thing you remember? What was the very first thing that God taught Moses in the burning bush experience? Reverence. Take off your shoes. This ain't the ground that you walked on over there. This is separate. This is holy ground. When you come here before me, Moses, you conduct yourself different than when you're with the sheep. Separate. Listen to me. There are people that are dying outside these walls. And they need a Christian who's living a separate life. 
who's not caught up in the same stuff that's in the world. Who's not, listen, and listen, I put myself in with all of it. We all have to separate ourselves more and more and more. And listen to me, it starts here. Peter said, consecrate the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. Set him apart. You don't drag him every place. Paul said, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost who lives in you? You don't just take, you don't take the Holy Ghost just anywhere. Mm-hmm. I guess we had enough for tonight. <laughs> you listen to what I'm saying? Yes. He, thank God, now listen to me, thank God, thank God. There's, there's some, listen, look, there are some Christians that are going to struggle with things their whole life here on this earth. Yes. Keep struggling. Amen. Pastor, you don't want me to get free? No, I want you to get free. But if the best you can get to right now is struggling and resisting and have, look, we all have to be pioneers. We've got to be in a a resistant position constantly. Why? We are living on a cursed planet. This is not our home. It's better for you to struggle your whole life and go to heaven than for you to say, I can't do it. I'm just going to give in. After all, this is who I am. I was born this way. No, no, listen to me. It's better for you to struggle in this short period of time in comparison to eternity and eventually go to heaven than for you to throw in the towel and say, I'm just going to live my life any way I want. That's right. Amen. Don't do that. Because the devil, the devil wants you as a trophy. The devil, the devil wants to take you and rub it in Jesus' face and say, you see this? They turned against you. I know we're not used to hearing this kind of stuff, but you better get ready. If you're going to be part of this church, you better get ready because we're going to hear a lot more of this. Amen. No, no, don't, don't do that because the Holy Ghost has been dealing with me with some stuff and I'm seeing stuff and I've been sharing it with our staff. I'm telling you. I'm not going to go into all of it right now because we'd be here for a couple hours. But the road's getting narrower. There's got to be a distinct difference between us and the world or the otherwise the people in the world that want to help won't know who to go to. If you and I are living just like somebody else in the world, then how is a person going to know, oh, oh, I can go to Bill. I'm desperate, but I can go to, I see something different in Bill's life. I, I don't see him walking like everybody else. I, I don't see Scott living like everybody else. I, I don't see Fred like, I, I don't, you see what I'm saying? That is the mark of the Holy Ghost on us so that others know I can go to that person. There's something different about that. You listening? There's something different about that. That's why we've we've got to walk. Man, I'm going to use a term that some people just don't want to hear. We've got to walk holy. We've got to walk holy. And I know, I know, I apologize to some of you that have gotten influenced by some of these teachings all over. Well, you can live any way you want. After all, Jesus already died on a cross and paid for our sins. What a slap in the face that is to Jesus. Are you kidding me? After, we, after all he suffered and endured, and then we're just going to treat it lightly. Well, he knows my heart. Oh, honey, that's the last thing you wanted to know. Now, does he have mercy on us? Yes. Does he have compassion on us? Yes. yes. Does he know our taskmasters? Yes. yes. But he doesn't want us cooperating with them. 
You listening? Yes. Did you learn anything tonight? Yes. I feel like I feel like we really tapped into something here tonight. Please don't just live like everybody else. Don't just live like everybody else. Let's let's all pray for each other. Let's all support each other. Let's all encourage each other. For those that might be struggling, let's get them and let's hold them up. And because some days going to come, we might be struggling. We need somebody to hold us up. But he knows the he knows the cries. He's heard the sorrow, the cries of sorrow. He's seen the tears. He knows the taskmaster, and he has sent the Holy Ghost to be our deliverer. Amen. Amen. I got to stop. You're going to come back next Wednesday? We'll continue with this? You promise? All right, stand up. Let's pray before we go. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we ask you, Father God, to strengthen us tonight. We ask you, Father God, for the dealings of the Holy Spirit to be released in our lives, Father. Lord, you know the areas in our life where we've given over to the world system, Father God. Shine that light. Shine it, Father, clear. Deal with us. Father, don't leave us the way we are. Don't don't just let us keep growing like this. Father, deal with us, Lord God. Show us the way out. Strengthen those that are struggling, Father. Father, make people aware of those in their own families that may be struggling with things. That we take authority over those taskmasters in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for those that are struggling with sexual immorality. Caught up in this web, caught up in this net. In the name of Jesus, Father God, by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that that thing be broken in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that that the patterns of thinking would change, Father. That certain things that get triggered, Father, would be neutralized, disconnected within the brain, even the framework itself. As you said in Psalm 103, you know our frame. You know how fragile we are. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for powerful deliverance for every single person. There might be one here tonight whose family member is struggling with that. Maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a sibling. Father, I pray that you give them the exact words to pray and that the spirit of an intercessor would come upon that individual, that you would use them to break the chains of bondage. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father God. Amen, amen, amen. amen. God bless you all.